Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Trash and Treasures, where we watch the movies other people throw away. And it's the best and spookiest time of the year. My name is Vry, and with me, as always, is Dorothy. Hello. It's just the two of us this week. Unfortunately, Sean is still trapped in a hell dimension called a job. We miss him very much. But we soldier on with our normal vampire-loving hearts dipping into something different this year. A tour through werewolf movies. Last time we did The Howling, as you may all remember, and this time we'll be looking at another movie about werewolves as metaphor for women's sexuality, 2000's Ginger Snaps. It has baby Catherine Isabel in it, which I feel like is why I know about it. <laughs> I mean, I do love me some Catherine Isabel. She's... American Mary is top-notch, y'all. It's it's real good. She's also good in Hannibal. I mean, the first thing I ever saw her in, uh, as far as I'm aware, was um, was Supernatural. Oh, <laughs> she was in. Hey, did she one. die? I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> you don't want to spoil what happens to a woman in Supernatural. <laughs> okay, but has everybody on the internet seen that video to Holes Violet? No, sweetie. It's, no, they haven't. It's a fantastic music video. <laughs> okay. No, it's really good. No, I believe you. Are you familiar with the song? No. Then you don't know why I'm saying that. Okay. The other principal is... Emily Perkins. Emily Perkins, who plays the younger sister of... Um, Catherine Isabel's character. Of Isabel's character. And if Sean were here... He's definitely seen her in something before this. Yes. As it turns out, she is our last link of proof to the show that doesn't exist. Yeah, um, Emily Perkins was apparently uh, in The Odyssey. No, not that one. Not, not that, that one. one either. Not the Armand Asante one. No, it was, it's this show that, um, that Sean distinctly remembers having seen, and I found a couple of other people who've seen it, and the website still exists, but it was this children's adventure series about a kid who's in a coma and goes to, like, it, it's an isekai, but live action children's programming from the late 90s, the mid to late 90s. And honestly, if any of you remember this or have access to tapes of this, please get in touch with me or Sean at wannabe food on Twitter because he is dying. <laughs> He's been searching for this show for so long. He has all of his best people on it for decades <laughs> and nothing. It has just vanished from the internet. It's a full on. Nobody cared enough to document it, but it exists because this girl was in it. However, you at home may be more familiar with her from the original miniseries version of It, where she played the young version of Beverly. Just a wee, tiny babe. She was 22 at the time this was made. And playing 15. Convincingly. Really convincingly. Meanwhile, Catherine Isabel was 18 and playing 16. And she looks older. It is mind-blowing. I mean, those kind of round cheeks will do it. I spent years with people assuming I was younger than I was just because I got those round cheeks. She Well, and they, they dress her in all those big coats and stuff, too. And yeah. her long hair. Yeah, Perkins as well wears a lot of big coats. Yeah, the teenagers in this mostly really look like teenagers. 
it seems like they were like except for sam yeah creepy van guy is he supposed to be i think he's supposed to be like an adult with a job that's why he has the van who just hangs around it i i assumed that his job involved doing the landscaping for the school that would make sense uh, so this film is pretty well regarded. Uh, it's well reviewed, if nothing else, and uh, beloved by horror fans because it was kind of a notable entry in the genre that was really working on focusing on a female fronted narrative. It has a it has a woman uh, as the scriptwriter. It's directed by a guy, but he apparently specifically wanted to find a female scriptwriter to. Um to realize it because he knew he wanted to do something about metamorphosis or transformation horror. And he wanted um, it to be from the perspective of, and working a lot with young female actresses. So he looked up Karen Walton, who apparently according to the production, you know, sound bites they put out to advertise the movie was kind of unsure about it because she'd heard that horror was kind of shitty to women, which it's one of those I feel like we come up against this a lot. Like, it's not that it's not true, but... But it's always disconcerting when it's somebody saying that they've heard third hand about the genre. And and he convinced her, you know, you could revolutionize the genre, which presumes that there was nobody working in the genre. In fairness, body horror, uh, like 80s body horror, which this very much feels like a continuation of, was extremely centered on on AMAB bodies. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's reductive to say that just doing a, a horror film with good writing for women is something that unusual. Yeah, no, I think that's also fair. It's it's one of those things. Like, it, y- yes, the, the the genre definitely needs more women in creative behind the behind the camera positions. Yeah, but but also, it's a very facile look at the genre, and it's a look at what floats to the top and gets heavily promoted. That's true. That's ignoring you know the tons of really solid quality female centric films. That exist in horror, mm-hmm. which oh. is honestly a genre with huge amounts of representation of females. As the haunting is characters. good. The haunting's good. I, I, I know that that doesn't exactly make the case immediately right off the back because that's 40 years before Ginger Snaps. But mm. it's what I always go to as like, <laughs> you know, your your go to slow burn movie about a woman's internal psychological journey. Baby Jane. Yeah. Even though that's tagged as hagsploitation. It's 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 a fraught genre, but like there's stuff there, like meaty roles. Right, but saying that because bad things happen to a woman, it makes it a bad use of a woman in a horror movie sort of to some extent misses the point of the genre, which is that bad things are gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between how films that focus on violence enacted on female bodies as gratification versus films that that are about women pushing through mm-hmm. dangerous or violent situations. Well, and then you get to something like The Descent in 2006, which is a movie I like with a lot of really talented women actors. Not a feminist film. Gratuitous and about how the women, they do be competing. They do be competing. It, it does. Over men. Uh-huh. It does come down to that in the end. And the breeder is the good one. And no, no amount of womb imagery will, will get around that fact. <laughs> do love that movie, though. And I think this movie is a lot smarter about 
sort of the teenage girl experience than the descent was about the experience of being a grown woman with a hobby. Because a lot of this is just about how there's no right way to be a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. It's, it's is, bad and anxiety inducing. It's like that Tumblr post about how, you know, people are going to pick on you whether you wear Uggs and drink pumpkin spice lattes or booty shorts or mm-hmm. <laughs> like no matter what you do, people are going to pick on you. So fuck it. Femininity is a trap. <laughs> Oops. But also if you don't conform to femininity. It's also, yeah. Yeah, you're just <laughs> fucked either way. Honestly, this movie reminds me a lot of a film that I ended up watching because over on my Patreon, uh, folks are allowed, uh, allowed, wow, that sounds shitty. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, uh, folks who are $3 patrons and above can vote on live blog films that I do. And one of the ones that they picked for me early on when it was kind of in an experimental phase was Raw, which is this... Yeah, so it's a French-Belgian horror film from 2016, so 16 years after Ginger Snaps uh, by... Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am, I'm going to butcher your name. Uh, Julia de Cernau? De Cornau, I believe. I haven't had French in years. And I have never. So, but that film is also about how the onset of sexuality and, you know, certain markers of traditional uh, coming of age for a feminine, uh, you know, an AFAB person turns you into a ravening monster. And also sisters. Yep, and also sisters. And it's just, boy, I really hate that film. I really hate that film a lot. And it sure does throw a gay man to the wolves, metaphorically speaking, because it wants to say something about cishet women. It, um, it's kind of interesting how it hits a lot of the same beats as this film, but oddly enough, not as well. I would agree. Yeah, despite being so much later with a lot more room to kind of, because this film isn't perfect. No. But, but there's a lot to like about it, and it's quite enduring and a good snapshot, kind of in the same <laughs> way, eh. Uh, in in the same way Daria is of a very specific kind of 90s weird girl mood. Mm. Yeah. That's one of the things I like about it is that Ginger and Brigitte. Bridget? Bridget. I think they pronounced it as Bridget. Yeah. They're in Canada. So. so they could be using the French pronunciation. Equally likely, but I think. I also have a tendency to watch with subtitles on and because I retain more that way than just by ear, so... Ginger and Bridget are weird girls. And I like that they're allowed to be weird, dark girls. Yeah, there's not you were mentioning when we were watching. Yeah, they, they kind of um, reminded me a lot of Charlie in uh, Hereditary, which I was really into Charlie as a protagonist. So Spoilers for Hereditary. Charlie is not the protagonist. No. But the, the you were talking about the way that they frame, the, the framing in that movie versus this one is really different in how it treats their weird hobbies. Yeah. So in Hereditary, a lot of the behaviors that Charlie displays of being checked out socially and not engaging with classmates and being fascinated by death and building weird creepy stuff are treated as markers of um, of deviance and possession. They're also heavily autism-coded, and it's not great. <laughs> it's kind of a, yeah. It's kind of a problem it's with that film. 
Even though Ari Aster is elevating horror as a genre. God, don't say that. People will think you mean it. Hereditary has a lot of very talented actors in it. Yes. Doing their best with a shit script. Also some awesome set direction. That's true. That's true. Someone let Ari Aster direct a film and not write it. Yeah, I'd like to see that. But uh, this film opens with our two heroines staging these really gruesome photos of their own deaths for a school project. And it's it's honestly delightful. It's so real to what I can see some dumb teenagers doing. Yeah, I think we've talked about uh, last year when we did Let the Right One In, we talked about the fact pretty openly about the fact that we were weird, morbid kids with just kind of this sort of at that age callow or callous fascination with death because you know at that age it's something you want to understand so you go to these fictional and historical depictions that you can get in books from the library but you didn't necessarily have the developed empathy to understand the gravity of the horror of these things like it's but at that age you also are exactly old enough to really want to be deep about it Uh uh-huh Oh, you're pretty sure you're deep. Oh, yeah. And saying a thing that nobody else has felt as intensely before. Mm-hmm. Because you do feel really intensely at that age. Yeah. I mean, you're growing up into having an adult brain and everything feels so much. Yeah, everything is so much. And death, it's not that, like, teenagers lack the capacity to understand that death is bad. That would be a terrible thing for me to say. Like, they, they feel it in a deep and personal way. There's something about the opening of this film that under both it both lets this mean something to them and like gives their emotions weight and sincerity, but also as like a playful thing that they're going to grow out of because they're teenagers. Right. There's a normalization to this type of play that I've seen teenagers mm. do. Although their effects budget is way better. Uh-huh. Oh, th- their gore is very good. I'm very impressed with these girls. Mm-hmm. I-, I feel like that is a, you know, we're talking pretty glowingly about this film. There's a there's a lot of gore in it, but I think very specifically folks are should be aware that there's a lot of animal, specifically dog death in this film. Yeah. It was rough. Yeah, it, that's the first thing that happens in the film is dog death. Yeah. That's, there's also people death, but... But, like, it's There's a also a, a lot of very cis-binary depictions of adolescence, which is weird because it keeps riding right up onto the line of almost seeming transcoded. Yeah, there are some particular bits of loaded imagery that the film stumbles on completely by accident. Loaded imagery and just loaded uh, conversation mm. with with how Ginger... Yeah. So I guess let's get into that and we will we'll talk about it. But yeah, I love these weird girls. They're um, good. I they're like sisters, these girls. And they're the type of sisters what do everything together. Always. Can't relate, can you? No. <laughs> I have a little brother. My, my my older brothers are more like, are so much older that they're more like cool uncles. So <laughs> can't relate. The film opens with Bridget and Ginger. And they are the local death-obsessed goth teenagers who've sworn that, you know, they'll either get out by 16 or die in the scene. And Bridget isn't sure about this, but Ginger is, is really pushing this idea that they'll go out together, you know, and so they'll, they plan their elaborate death scenes and kind of blow it off that way but they're the they're the goth kids at school and ginger is um played by isabel and bridget is played by perkins and they're both really good in this movie like excellent young actors and of course their parents are very normal just painfully normal honestly um 
I can't recall who plays their mother, but she is, number one, she's hitting the character perfectly, but also her costume and hair and makeup design are all fantastic. Like, you know this woman buys those maple leaf shaped scented candles. Yes. Her name is Mimi Rogers. <laughs> yeah. I, I've seen her in other stuff. She's really good. Like, she hits that... She's not quite doing the mean girls, I'm the cool mom thing. She, she's more like somebody who knows she could never pull off being the cool mom. But yeah. she'd like to try. Right. And you get the sense that she totally doesn't get it, but she really is trying to be there for her kids. And she just does not get them at all. She bakes Ginger a cake when she gets her period, y'all. <laughs> It's dire. Oh, she was in Austin Powers. Mm. And their dad just kind of exists, but doesn't. He's there. He's technically there. Um, he's there basically to indicate that these girls do not come from a broken home. Right. They come from quote, a, a nuclear normal family. nuclear yeah. family. Because sometimes girls are just weird. Yep. Sometimes kids are just weird. Uh, and their mom, who they both call Pam, because... That's also part of that 90s disaffected kid energy. You call your parent by their first name. Mm -hmm. I would never have dared. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. Yeah. The death. But she, she has a couple lines at him that are just like, oh, they're just teenagers. It's mm. like this movie has such an understanding that no, they, they're just kind of weird. It's, it's fine. It's okay. Right. It's fine to be weird when you're a teenager or when you stop being a teenager. The problem is, aside of the fact that they're terribly unpopular at school and it's bad. Whoa is that there have been a spate of dog killings around the neighborhood. And so one night they go out and they're at the park at night. Because um, the popular girl has been picking on Bridget, who is small and weak and less hot and also skipped a grade. So she is just a magnet. This tiny 15-year-old in high school. Yeah, she's just a magnet for being picked on. So they decide that what they're going to do is... Kidnap the popular girl's dog and put their fake gore makeup on it so that they can freak her out by making her think the dog was mauled by the mysterious beast that's been mauling dogs. Which is, honestly, that's an over-elaborate and dumb plan, but it's kind of cute that they didn't even want to hurt the dog. Well, no, because they're good children. <laughs> for now. For now. While they're out, Ginger gets her period for the first time. Mm -hmm. And it's like this whole thing that's mentioned a few times, but never really addressed is that neither girl has started to menstruate yet. Mm -hmm. Even though they're 15 and 16. So, you know, late, but not like a, a medical concern kind of yeah. thing. But so, you know, you know, sharks. <laughs> Apparently this uh -huh. is a were shark. <laughs> I don't think that's what the etymology of that word means. <laughs> Let me just put on my pedant glasses. <laughs> she she gets her period just like dribbling down her leg. And it's hard to tell for a second because they're also messing around with a dog carcass. But then she is immediate. The metaphor kicks into full swing and she is immediately jumped by the werewolf. There's not a lot of shots of the werewolf until the very end of this movie because they're clearly saving the the budget the Canadian government gave them because yes this was financed just like Cronenberg's films are financed them Canadian grants mm -hmm. thank you Canadian grants thank you genuinely yeah you've you've paid for some films that i love and some films that i've watched <laughs> also that the werewolf attacks her and then runs into the street and gets hit by 
the van driven by your local drug dealer. Yep. Who also works at, at a plant nursery and greenhouse because, well... Gotta get that product somewhere. Right. That, that's where he grows weed. And he has a floppy 90s mullet, so that's how you know you're supposed to read him as hot. <laughs> now, this I mentioned that this movie came out in 2000. What significant event might, uh, affected the... Uh... Yeah. So apparently they started trying to make this movie in 95. And, um, you know, got everything in place. Started trying to cast it. They were having trouble casting it in L.A. because there was just so much extreme language and content. Shocking. But, you know, they were chugging along, getting things into place. And then um, and then in the story about high schoolers being violent while wearing a lot of dark clothes and trench coats. The, 1998 happened. Yeah. The Columbine shooting happened. Which was a watershed moment for a lot of people's understanding of teen violence and mass shootings. and It, it changed the landscape of media as we know it in, in a way that wouldn't be seen again until 9-11. And that's, I'm sure, really weird for our younger listeners to think of, given the givens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I distinctly remember that about a month before the uh the columbine murders happened i had found a black trench coat in a thrift store because i was like these girls <laughs> you know you thrift random weird clothes so you can that look cover dark as and much deep. and cover as much of your body as possible so that people won't look at you or if they look at you they're looking at your weird clothes and the day after you know april 20th you could not wear that anymore no trench coats Clear backpacks. Yep. Metal detectors. Security guards everywhere. Um, just completely transformed the landscape of what was acceptable behavior among teenagers. Because all of these things were seen as hallmarks of violence that didn't actually... There's a really interesting thing you can go back if you're interested in the history of media. Looking at stuff like teen dramas around the time Buffy got in a lot of trouble in its first season because it had a clock tower shooter episode and that one did not get aired if I recall it got pulled I think Heather's stopped being aired or circulated widely and just because well Jason Dean is that (laughs) yeah he, he he is that so it was kind of a big deal and movies like this that are trying to you know for all of the violence and flair and some of the rougher edges really are trying to talk about teen anxieties but this is trying to talk about sort of a very granular specific form of teen anxieties specifically like afab body anxieties and social anxieties just with the horror lens on top of it Mm -hmm. so they get home And, of course, Ginger, you know, Bridget is freaking out because her sister is covered in blood. But, lo and behold, the cuts have healed. And she's fine. She's fine. Nobody needs to call an ambulance or do anything. And then the metaphor kicks into higher gear. So Ginger, throughout the early stages of the film, has a serious case of not like other girls. Which kind of plays into the transcoding that you you mentioned. She is just really disgusted at the fact that she's gotten her period. She doesn't want anybody to know. She's like, she swears Bridget to secrecy, which doesn't hold because their mom discovers her underwear just soaked in blood. But 
like she's really upset about this uh, this concept of femaleness and femininity yeah and she's like she expresses it as like disgust at the whole concept and also disgust with anyone else whose bodies are doing this Mm -hmm. and putting like a line of separation between herself and every other typical girl right because you know there's because being trans trans mask and closeted often starts in a not like other girls face so well and just the repulsion she feels Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's pretty visceral stuff but that doesn't really play through the narrative no like like uh but early on yeah but early on it does sort of like ping Mm -hmm. yeah and then later on there's more it it shifts to a a more trans feminine kind of in uh imagery because she starts growing that tail yeah and and it's visible in her underwear right so she has to start taping it down to her leg so that she can keep a feminine silhouette which again i think is totally accidental accidental. but it's it's just interesting because especially in a transformation film Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting i think one of the things we're finding with these werewolf movies is that there's so much there's so much room in these stories for them to be queer and trans, but it's not, you barely even see the surface scratched, even with movies about, you know, cis women and their sexuality. Yeah, and I think it's just because it's so focused on embodiment. Mm-hmm. Embodiment and discomfort with bodies. Right. And, and also discovering comfort in bodies. Right. Is the werewolf a good thing or a bad thing? Or are the value sets totally alien? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, come the 90s, as we discussed in our last episode, it became a masculinity metaphor, and there it has remained. Thank you, Wolf. (laughs) This does remind me a bit of Wolf, though, because of its focus on sort of the maladaptive social behaviors that start cropping up. That's most of the transformation is just her her social aberrance. At that point, it becomes this sort of center point of anxiety for Bridget because all of a sudden her sister, her sister gets her period and now she has changed overnight. She cares about boys and she started to dress in ways that show off her cleavage and it's like she's this alien creature. And the sexy outfits she wears, it's (laughs) kind of funny that they're still pretty modest. Honestly. They're they're things I could wear to my job today. Yeah. They're very pretty. Yeah, honestly, they're they're nice outfits. Um, it's basically she doesn't have a giant oversized sweater on top of her. Mm-hmm. She wears a long sleeve shirt with shirt with a little bit of cleavage and, and some a skinny skirt. jeans. It, oh, is it? Yeah, it's like a green velvet skirt. Right. And also, she does. She has rogue hair now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has a white streak just in the front of her hair. And y'all, when I was twenty four, I got one white hair right up there on my forehead and I'm eternally bitter that it has not spread yet. It's really... It's been almost a decade. I'm waiting. (laughs) It's rude for it not to do an aesthetic. We were (laughs) promised. It's still there. It's charming. (laughs) I like it. It's just a lot of scenes of, I can't believe that Ginger has smoked a weed and is making out with a boy and has sex with a boy. So it starts to come off as Bridget being clingy, except mm-hmm. that she knows her sister's turning into a werewolf. Right. Ginger's getting hair in strange places. Th- there's <laughs> the they, most pointed. They full-on do a nurse's office scene. 
<laughs> Just but a it, lot of blood. But the nurse's office scene is interesting because it, it is so inherently dismissive without any investigation that it does feel like the type of medical care that a lot of AFAB people receive or rather don't receive. Mm-hmm. Because they come in with a list of complaints about the things that are happening to Ginger's body that Ginger has expressed feel abnormal to Bridget mm-hmm. and Bridget seeking care for her. And the nurse just nods along and says, all of those are normal. It's all normal, no matter Anything what. that happens to your body is normal because we can categorize it as... It is also interesting. Female stuff. But, like, at the same time, you know, they're, they're shoving off her concerns the, of this real medical crisis that she's having because, you know, the film talks about uh, lycanthropy as an illness, specifically. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think I've seen that many films, especially films about teenagers that talk about periods yeah. so openly. Yeah, it's it's different. Like using that that terminology of you know here's here's what it comes and here's what it looks like and then you know it'll start to turn a brighter red five yeah, to six days and in just, and this is this is what happens. So it's both this is terrifying and not helpful and also all right listen teenagers if you're at home and no one's told you this here's something real fucked up uh huh this is, this is to... what we expect to every, happen every twenty eight days for the next thirty years <laughs> and it, it, it's pretty. A good satire scene, frankly. Uh huh. Also, kudos to the nurse in that scene. Like, <laughs> what a great job she does. Because she she conveys the fact that she's not actively malicious, but she has just checked out mm-hmm. on this because so many teenagers have come to her and asked her these same questions that she's not bothering to do any checking on them. Right. Before regurgitating it, because it's never anything. Right. It's just you. You don't know. You don't know. You just don't know your own body. Those hysterical women. But then Ginger's problems start to be less about her becoming a girl or a very, you know, a very specific type of girl that is now also not okay. Because now she's a slut. Because she has urges now. Mm-hmm. But then she has sex and uh, doesn't... It's very assault-coded. Ex- not on his... Yeah. She's... There's... Honestly, kudos. I kept waiting for the football player jock type to sexually assault somebody he, he does doesn't not. no guys assault anybody the it's same good. cannot really be said for ginger no no he he asks her to stop like multiple times and she uh rapes him and then he shows up to school the next day trying to play it off and he's covered in wounds but kind of into it but kind of i hope this doesn't awaken anything in me <laughs> it's fully the mood of the scene yeah it's it's and I assume he's just that way because, you know, now he's infected. It's kind of funny to me that it's that it's portrayed as he's infected because you had unprotected sex and not because you repeatedly bit and scratched him and savaged him with your werewolf claws. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's definitely about the lack of a condom. <laughs> like, like, yes, he's infected, but there are so many ways. Children, remember to wrap that shit up. Otherwise, you might end up with lycanthropy. It's a problem. (laughs) And meanwhile, Bridget has connected with the weird guy who ran over the werewolf the other night. Sam the drug dealer man. Yes, who has a van. Sam the drug dealer guy with a van. Who doesn't like teenagers smoking in his van. No. That's unsanitary. It's uncouth. And there's something weird going on with him at the script level. Yeah, it's like the, the film both wants him to be an implicit threat but also doesn't want to be sleazy and the actor is not playing it sleazy or ambiguous at all he's playing it very forthrightly Uh uh-huh like he he, this could be marty mcfly in four years 
Just like a weird dude who also sells a blunt. Meanwhile, there's all of this dialogue about how he preys on virgins and the popular girl seems really sincerely upset by the fact that, you know, she seems to have dated him and gotten dropped. It's not, it's not reflected in his, his acting choices at all. Yeah. I mean, every scene with him feels very safe from his acting choices to the camera work and music. Which I don't think we talk about a lot on here, but the atmospheric choices that a film makes have so much to do with the weight of a scene. They're very important. And like this film doesn't have a whole lot of fancy camera work. I feel like that's because they want to, most of the the really flourishy choices they choose are, are about, wow, I talk good, uh, are about showing off the effects to best effect. Or obscuring them to best effect, you know, like Jaws. Right. They called over the guy who worked on the later Hellraiser movies, the second through the fourth one. So one good Hellraiser movie. I, I don't go here. I'm not a Clive Barker buff, so. I. It's not that I like Hellraiser so much as I respect, I respect the entire visual thing going on with the I did like Cenobites. That. Yeah, everybody likes how the Cenobites look, because look at them. I, I did like that one Clive Barker movie that was clearly meant to be a miniseries and also edited bizarrely. Yes. Nightbreed yeah. is a trip. That, that was interesting. Clive Barker's Nightbreed by Clive Barker. Clive adapted Barker. by Clive Barker. Clive Barker. Clive Barker. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. The filmic, uh, uh, this production level choices are so important and we don't always get into them. Yeah. Because not everything is the acting or the direction. A lot of it is built together from... Yes, a film is... A, a good film is a group effort of everybody coming together. It's a collaborative art. So I think there were some script-level choices that just didn't get played through or were edited out at some point, but not entirely. Or maybe they just... Yeah, like they found the actor that they wanted and then it just... They didn't make the revisions. Yeah, he just he doesn't have that threatening energy. You kept saying that he reminded you of early Christian Bale. Or, I mean, Christian Slater, not R Christian Bale. Yeah, when they introduce him, like, he's got that Heathers feel. Yeah. He, he doesn't have that sort of menace that a lot of early Slater roles had. Right, and they, they just have, like, they introduce this threat that maybe he's after Bridget because she's, you know, young and virginal, but then they have him say pretty point blank, I don't think of you that way, and... The way the film frames it, you're like, oh, okay, well, that's that subplot closed off then. Yeah, and at no point mm -hmm. does he make a move. Nope. It's very odd. Some of the things in this script feel like there were differences that only kind of got rewritten. Mm. And that is the first one of them. So anyway, Bridget's been talking to this guy and, and he knows that it's a werewolf because he ran the thing over and then looked at it. Mm -hmm. Sort of twitching in the road, like that was a good and he checked piece its, of work, and he checked its dong. That's right. yeah, he scoped the donger. You know, just full Dan Kane. <laughs> I, I believe we call that the Herbert. Yeah, that's the move when you check the dong before anything else. <laughs> and he specifically says, "So the thing I ran over had a circumcision, <laughs> which is not a not something typically done on domestic pets." Well. I mean, unless there's some sh some wild shit going on up in Canada. <laughs> I was thinking of the other kind of pet. Oh. <laughs> that too. <laughs> so, like, he knows there's werewolves, and so she connects up with him, and they start investigating werewolf lore. 
And she's like, so I'm having this problem with having been bit by a werewolf. And so they have this temporary problem of there is a cure for werewolfism. Well, first he discovers that silver might help. Maybe. Maybe. Possibly. And then Ginger gets into a fight. Yep. She beats the shit out of lacrosse girl. No, no, that's not lacrosse. That's field hockey. Excuse me. I am unaware of the besticked lesbian sports. (laughs) I can't differentiate. Speaking of lesbians, put a pin in that. Yeah, put a pin in that. <laughs> but they attempt they attempt to hold back this curse for a while, so they're both growing tails. Bridget gives Ginger a silver belly button hoop that, you know, will hopefully hold this back. It doesn't work. And this very charged scene where she's penetrating her older sister. <laughs> uh-huh, just climbing on top of her sister, like, straddling her hips, and, and meanwhile... Ginger's, it- like, gri- gripping the headboard... Uh-huh, and, like, thrusting because of the pain, and it's a lot. And she doesn't know how to do it right, and, it, and the needle gets stuck. And why are you doing a navel piercing for this? Like, I, I know that that would be hidden, but Ginger has a ton of hair. Uh-huh. She, she could do an ear piercing. It, navel piercings reject so easily. Could be so bad. Like, why would, you, why would you choose to do that if not to make it a weird sexually charged scene, but also their sister's? Which, yeah. Yeah, they're sisters. They have matching beds in the basement with matching beaded curtains and matching purple bedspreads, and I want their life. It's, it's Not so much the werewolf parts, but... <laughs> it is the bedroom of every weird teenager's dream. Uh-huh. With, like, creepy shit all around. And it's dark down there, and... But, it's... like, innocuously. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not dangerous. There's not spiders. It's a visibly sep- It's a visibly separate part of the house from where your parents are and all their normalcy. It's so separate, you can lock somebody in the bathroom all day and nobody will hear a thing. Yep, apparently so. As we get into the second act of the movie, uh, things are getting worse for Ginger and these countermeasures are not working. And eventually... She picks a fight with popular girl on Bridget's behest and just beats the shit out of this girl. <laughs> this will be a problem later. Uh-huh. This this will turn into a problem. Not because this girl becomes a werewolf. Nope. No, we've already got that p- problem going with the popular boy she she fucked up, who is pissing blood now. Yep. That's that's a scene. <laughs> and so this is which be- I I think it really does underlie underline just how upsetting that would be for somebody with a penis to suddenly start bleeding yeah why am i bleeding am i dying that's not supposed to happen (laughs) right the movie i kind of more elegantly than i expected makes that turn from oh no my sister is starting to experience interest in tradition like you know, stereotypically feminine things to, oh, this is bad shit. With that line, you know, I I feel like this urge inside me and I thought it was for sex, but actually I just want to rip things apart. I'm like, that's good. Oh, and we're clocking time over the next 28 days till the next full moon, but also next period. And it's going to happen on Halloween. Yes. It's a problem. And of course, there is a there is a supposed cure of monk's hood, but it's out of season. What will we do? I guess we can't do anything except watch things go from bad to worse for a few scenes. Except, you know, no, except just deal with the fact that my sister is mauling dogs in the neighborhood. Again, a lot of animal death. It is distressing. Yeah. 
as the film goes on, it starts to be off screen more, but woof. Not anymore. Oh. Our dog was sitting on the couch. Don't worry, I told him that no, we wouldn't let any werewolves get him. You promised. I promised him. You promised him no werewolves. I will not let a werewolf eat our dog. Okay. Because this is a movie that is adorably on the nose in every way. It all comes to a head on Halloween. Which is super cute. But anyway, so the bitchy popular girl who got the shit beat out of her by Ginger Mm -hmm. is also pissed off at Bridget because Bridget is hanging out with Sam the Plant Man. Look, we can't have too many different plots. They all have to be in the same place. Mm -hmm. We've only got this much time and money. Which is where that script weirdness pops up again because then the perform like this uh she seems really genuinely distressed right she seems sincerely upset that this guy is going around has preyed on her and is going to do it to other girls yeah i mean she's very convincing right it's it's not like 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 a shitty lash out yeah so her performance and the way this sequence is filmed is at odds with the way every other (laughs) scene with him is done yeah it's odd yeah i mean i really liked her turn like that was a really good scene and she Mm -hmm. was good at it because she hates them for Uh good reason yeah they they're kind of awful like they beat the shit out of her Uh uh-huh i mean she's also kind of awful but they've escalated yeah she's a bitchy popular girl who is mean to them but like it's escalated yeah (laughs) then ginger drags her into the house and uh Holds her hostage. <laughs> and turns a real Lestat, she does. Yeah. A popular girl tries to stab Ginger at, to escape. As Bridget is like, calm down, let's just be chill here. Everybody chill. <laughs> Nobody chills. Nobody listeners. chills. The corner of a countertop will end you. As it turns out. No, that's totally real. That will kill you. Oh, well, that's distressing. Thank you. No more rounded th- or no more sharp corners in our house. I'm going to be taking a belt sander around <laughs> after we finish recording. Thank you. <laughs> we don't have a belt sander. I'll buy a belt sander. It's the middle of the night. We have a weed whacker. <laughs> that's you've never used a weed whacker. No, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> that that's not my concern. <laughs> never underestimate anxious determination. <laughs> yeah, she slips and dies, and now they have a corpse on their hands. And they do my favorite kind of scene. They, they chuck her body into the lie-down freezer because they're that suburban. Mm-hmm. They have... Oh, man, those which, are fancy. Which is a callback to the beginning of the movie when they were staging Death their photos. deaths. One of them was staged in the freezer. And now they have to do wacky shenanigans so their parents don't find out that there's a dead body in the house. Like, they do one of those scenes where mom is about to put meat in the freezer and has it open, but is looking at them while she does it. I love it. It's it's a good sequence. Bridget makes the ultimate sacrifice and asks her mom what boys like. It's so good. She's so clearly dying. <laughs> Goodbye, childhood. <laughs> she doesn't want to hear this. She doesn't want this lecture, especially from her mom. And then you cut and to her the mom's end. so happy because my little girl is, is becoming, is becoming normal. Woman. She's being normal. I'm not a failure as a mom. Uh-huh. And you cut to the end of that lecture and she's made glasses of milk and like an entire platter of cookies. <laughs> and like this woman is trying. <laughs> she really is. She just is not a good match for these daughters. She's really not. She doesn't get them at all, but she's trying to be there for them. And she's trying to protect them. 
And their dad exists. He certainly exists. He's not even a bad person. Like, he's a little bit ugh when, when they're talking about, you know, menstruation and stuff. But he's pretty much neutral. <laughs> then they hide the body. But the body has frozen to the freezer while they were having this conversation. So now they got a couple of loose fingers. Yep. So they chip it out with a screwdriver and a couple fingers go missing, which... We knew it was going to happen. Uh-huh. Like, as soon as they started having to chip it out, you were like, oh, there's going to be some fingers. Yep. And I usually can't handle gore involving fingers, but this is very restrained. Yeah, the actual gore is, is off screen because I don't think they had the model for it. And <laughs> then you just have some severed fingers hanging around. Just in the yard. Whoops. You just, you forgot. Well, there's no danger the dog is going to eat them, is there? At school, popular boy confronts Bridget about the fact that he's growing a tail. It's, you know, a reasonable thing to be upset about, frankly. And it is odd, because, like, the film treats his anxiety as unreasonable a little bit. Or as comedic. Mm-hmm. But, like, he's honestly reacting more reasonably than <laughs> than Ginger is, because Ginger is just trying so hard to mm-hmm. to just not acknowledge any of this. <laughs> Like, I respect that this film wants to be about its female protagonists and not about male anxiety. At all. But there's a lot, but I feel like there's a wider spectrum of gender fears that that it's knocking at the door of this film every so often. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, not all films to all things. Yeah. But it it knows what its focus is. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see that sometimes. Yeah. Like, it's... It's nice. It didn't bother me, per se, but it is one of those things where it's like, you know, all right. (laughs) He is growing a tail. He is, like... And peeing blood. Like, this is not normal. Like, and he's not even that shitty of a dude. Like, he's kind of bro-y. And, like, he he did that thing at the beginning of the movie where, I'm gonna fuck her. Right. But he's not, he's not out there kicking dogs and being a rapist. There are worse things happening to dogs. There are worse things happening. Ginger does kick a dog. Mm-hmm. He, she definitely earlier does kick popular girl's dog and then dismembers it B- because the dogs are barking. Yeah, dogs, dogs hate werewolves. It's a known, it's a known quantity. Yeah, Bridget realizes that her mom has got some monk's hood from the craft store for a craft project, so she snatches some. Yeah, she snatches some, takes it to Sam. Oh, and- um, also, she tells Ginger, "You have to stay home." Will tell mom that you're at school and will tell school that you're out sick that doesn't hold up that holds up for about 30 seconds and she gets a lecture from her mom about being too much of a follower of everything that ginger does mm-hmm. gotta set up we gotta plan for that payoff later well you know it's about alphas whoa so she takes the wolf's uh the, the monk's hood to sam and they're able to whip up a cure that uh, may or may not work and fortunately and about. it's very loaded, um, you know, drug imagery in the, how it's prepared and put into the syringe and everything. It's re- it's a real make-your-own-heroin kind of situation. And he's like, so you know this might kill her, right? Mm. And she's like, what? No, this is for me. And he's like, chili. <laughs> and she, she looks back with her big doe eyes. And he's like, just, this might kill her. <laughs> Just FYI. So, you know. But she gets to test it on frantic, sweaty teenage boy. Because he has now transformed to the point where he he has also entered the rapist zone. <laughs> yeah, he, he's trying to attack a small child. 
rather ineffectually in uh, public. Just kind of aggressively grabbing a child's arm and by the looks <laughs> of it trying to steal their Halloween candy. And it's Halloween because so the kid's in like a clown costume or something. Mm-hmm. So now things have hit wacky. It's a little bit wacky. So then he like grabs her like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. No, there's definitely sexual menace under oh, yeah. for that. Yeah, definitely. Because but, he now wants to devour her. But she gets him in the neck and lo and behold, the cure does work. But And then he kind of ambles off with like, the syringe just hanging out of his neck. <laughs> it's it's kind of great. He's still got some pox on his face. <laughs> just just kind of sweaty and bewildered. And that's the end of him. He's out of the movie now. He's fine. He'll have a great combo for therapy. So Bridget tried to lock Ginger up in their bathroom. Didn't and take. A, there's a pretty intense sequence of Isabel just beating on the door and like her hands bleeding and scratching the door and just for what feels like hours. Yeah, and they, they do some really nice dressing on the set to, to scar it up and, you know, blood and, and bloody up the door. It's yeah. a good little sequence. Intense. So, of course, Bridget gets back and whoops. Ginger's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. She's at school having eaten the principal. Guidance counselor. Excuse me. The one who didn't like their art project. Right. Was very, extremely, extremely offend. He just wants to think about their future. Again, Daria vibes. I have them. <laughs> We've now reached the point where Ginger doesn't want to cure this anymore. She just wants to, to do rampant murders. So the Bridget's like, will you fucking stay still? I'll clean up this corpse. We'll handle this. Stay here for five minutes while I go and get a mop bucket. Lock the door so nobody can get in. It doesn't go as well as, as you might think. Because she, for some reason, trusts Ginger, trusts Ginger by herself. Uh-huh. <laughs> so now the janitor's dead. Well, he's mostly dead. I mean, he's very quickly all dead. Yeah, because... And that's sort of where the turn happens, is that it's no longer just Ginger losing control. Bridget points out that he's not dead and maybe they could do something to help him. And Ginger kills him. Mm -hmm. Which is where the other point of issue in the script happens. Or rather, pokes through most clearly. There had to be- there had to be a lesbian draft of this film. I would stake money on it, almost. I mean, you think it could have been unconscious? I I mean, I think that the lesbian vibes are lesbophobic vibes. Mm. Because frequently in lesbian panic movies, there's this intense focus on lesbian urges as perversion of familial connection. We see it in uh, Single White Female. Right. Where it was this confused sisterly obsession. And uh, the children's hour as well. Yep. yep. So. so there is this incredibly uncomfortable scene after Ginger kills the janitor where she crawls on top of Bridget and is talking about how, you know, they can just swap fluids and be their own pact. And it's like they're and barely hardly eat- sisters at all anymore. Right. And it's like the one really sour note in the film because it, it does. It feels extremely homophobic and dog whistly. Yeah. Because she doesn't, like, lick her or try to kiss her, but the vibes are icky. Yeah. Bridget refuses, so Ginger 
runs off. Now it's erased because they have to somehow herd Bridget back to the, or herd Ginger back to the house because that's where the rest of the cure is. Meanwhile, their mom has found out. there's a big party at the greenhouse. Sam's Uh there. And their mom has found the fingers in the yard. Or, well, their dad found the fingers in the yard, but their mom was like, oh, silly. Those are clearly fake fingers from their their photo essay project. And then she puts them in a Tupperware and drives around until she finds Bridget and is like, what the hell? (laughs) Don't worry, sweetie. It's fine. And this is where their mom becomes the fucking best. (laughs) Yeah. Just amazing. Because, again, she looks like the most suburban mom. Mm -hmm. She wears, like, denim shirts with the embroidered seasonal pictures on them. Mm -hmm. And, like, a high scrunchie with the little tendrils escaping. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's so much. She's just like, okay, so you did some murders and that's bad. Clearly what we're going to have to do is burn the house down and leave the town. We'll just blow up the house. I'll go, I'll go home and I'll start filling up the house with gas and then I'll light a match. And then we can just start over somewhere else. And Bridget's like, uh, what about dad? And mom's like, mm, he'll he- be mad at me. <laughs> and it's the single best fucking thing <laughs> in the entire world. It's just like, okay, I didn't realize your mom was ride or die. <laughs> Turns out... Best mom, we'll cover your murders for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's okay if you leave, but I'm not going to have anyone take you from me. Yeah. Just like, I'll blow up the house. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> it's so good. And then it, it's really weird because she also just kind of vanishes from the film after that. Like, she takes Bridget to the party. And um, then she wanders into the party. And but... we never hear from her again. Because we're occupied with the final series of fight scenes, which go on for a long time. The pacing in this is weird. Yeah, the the final scene, because they like, managed... We knew there was going to be a final fight in their bedroom, but... <laughs> because Sam and Bridget are able to get Ginger back to the house. Ginger tries to sexually assault Sam. Yep. Bridget... Sam is very clear that he does not want this. Mm-hmm. This, no. Bridget distracts Ginger by, like cutting her hand and cutting ginger's hand and like now we're blood sisters etc yeah and it's this whole uh dialogue thing about how you know you've destroyed everything in my life that's not about you so fine now i am you ginger has some cool face makeup now and her hair is all white it's like they put the fright night face on her but like with an extra buffy spin on it because it's got that very pronounced uh nose with the deep eye set eyebrows and like the yellowish eyes and her hair's gone all white and it's a good look so bridget talks her out the door and then sam conks her with a shovel for obvious reasons mm-hmm. and bridget's like i was doing something you fuck so now they have to drag her back to the house yeah where she wakes up and is unhappy because she just got conked with a shovel and um, so Sam decides to be, so so she goes full warwolf. And there is a long chase sequence. And honestly, yeah, this, you kind of start to check out a little bit during the house chase because it goes on for a long time. This is a two hour film. Yeah. Um, but eventually Sam and Bridget end up in a closet making some of the cure, but like dirty now mm-hmm. and unsafe. But who cares? Because werewolves. And then Sam checks out. <laughs> Because Sam decides to be real dumb. 
He's like, how about if I take this syringe out there and like, I'll bait her one way and you bait her the other and then I stab her. Guess how well that works out for him, listeners? Instantaneous. <laughs> like, like banging on the closed door murder. <laughs> And then there's, I think, what might be the best part of the entire sequence, where where Bridget goes out there and is crawling around and is trying to placate Ginger by by drinking Sam's blood, like as a pack movement, and it is extremely Lestat. <laughs> it's so incredibly. She starts to do it and she throws up the blood and she's like, I can't. And so Ginger just full on fine and and snaps his neck because yeah. he's still alive at the time because he's still alive he could have been a werewolf too but no 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 now i have to do this to punish you bridget escapes back down to their bedroom where there's a knife in a drawer because earlier ginger was trying to cut off her tail so that because of the way it looked again with that yeah that their trans imagery yeah mm-hmm. she has a knife and she has the syringe we all know where this is going. This is a werewolf movie. Nobody gets cured of werewolfism. Nope, it, it just doesn't. It comes back thematically to the point that, you know, we opened on the statement of out by 16 or dead in the scene. Um, and Bridget makes the declarative statement that she's not going to die in this room with you. And it's really well delivered by Perkins. Yeah. I was just so impressed with her. Yeah, she's very good in this. Mm hmm. And they have a, f- a fight to the death that ends in accident. You know, she gets her with the syringe, but she also stabs her in the gut. Isabel dies and there's still liquid in the syringe. But so Bridget crawls over and like rests her head on her sister's body as the breathing ceases and then it ends. So did she take, did she take the cure or will she be a werewolf? We just don't know. And it's a really good final shot. Yeah, it's effective because you can really see the stillness. Mm-hmm. And Perkins is also so still. Yeah. That it-, it feels like a photograph right so the film comes full circle and it's really impressive man i liked this movie it was really good like and i've heard i've heard good things about the sequel i know that uh it's not the same production crew but perkins did come back and isabel is lifted listed in the credits as well i have to assume in like flashback or as a ghost or i don't know yeah, but unleashed I have not heard as good of things about Ginger Snaps Back or whatever. The, right, the, the other... prequel, sequel, third one. Yeah, aren't there four movies, three or four? I think there's three. There might be four, I don't know. I don't know. I've only heard that the first two are good. Same. But then again, we really like Bride of Reanimators, so... So... <laughs> horror, uh, the and horror community. And Reanimator is interesting. Uh, that movie is glorious. I, I don't mean, know that it's soundtrack good. soundtrack ever... But it's it doesn't amazing. have Dan, so that's true. Hard points off for Dan, but also points on again for nipple eating <laughs> and rat penis, rat penis fight. <laughs> someday we'll do that movie for the podcast, y'all, and it'll be good. But I guess my point is that uh, the horror community has different standards for what makes a good sequel. Still, I, I'm I'm intrigued to che- I would check it out. Yeah, like just to watch Perkins act some more. I think it's pretty clear that we would recommend that our audience see this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as long as you're aware of the, the content warning stuff. Yeah. Again, I'm somebody who doesn't usually watch werewolf movies. I've just never thought of them as my sort of thing. I've just always been more of a vampire movie person. The same way I'd, I'll watch a zombie movie, but I'm not really a zombie movie person. Mm-hmm. Right, it's not a, you will pick out a recommended title in the genre, not 
the title because it's in the genre. Yeah. But honestly, I'm, I'm finding myself more and more impressed as this month goes on. Yeah, I'm starting to get that feeling like maybe I don't hate werewolves. I just hate werewolf stories that are about cis men and masculinity. Yeah, and I've, I've just only before seen some of the, well, just like what we were saying about people making assumptions about women in horror. That's true. Like, I may have just been tarring this whole genre with the same brush without really looking, looking into, into it. Yeah. And looking and parsing it. So this is this is exciting. I'm glad we decided to do this. Yeah. Um, so, so I think we would clearly recommend it. What services can people see it on? Uh, it's available f- to rent for pay from a couple places like Amazon. Um, if it's on Prime, if you have it. It's also on Tubi, which is a free service with ads. You don't need a subscription or anything. I think it might be US only. You might have to check, but it is for free on there. That place also had Millennium Actress last I checked, so like, while you're there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that about wraps us up for this time. If you liked this, you can find more of our stuff by going on SoundCloud and looking up Trash and Treasures. We're also on Apple Podcast or, or Stitcher. And if there's a podcaster catcher that we're not on that you'd like to listen to us through, let us know. We really want to become more accessible to folks where we can. And also, while you're there on these services, if you could leave us a five-star rating or review, we really appreciate it. It helps folks uh, find us and, you know, it makes us feel warm and fuzzy in our hearts. You can also email us if you like. We love to get mail at trashandtreasures underscore pod at outlook.com. Or you can find us a little more snappily on social media. We're on Tumblr at trashandtreasurespod.tumblr.com. Or we're on Twitter at trashpod. Uh, if you give us a shout, if you come over and say hello, we'll give you a shout out on the show. This time I'd like to uh, shout one out to at nine ODDs who really enjoyed our Tu Wong Fu episode back in June. Uh, I desperately want to hear the rest of this story, frankly, about the stolen VHS tape of this film, <laughs> which kind of seems like the ideal way to watch it. <laughs> like, that's amazing. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right, well, we have one more film before we uh, get all the way to gay Christmas, or Halloween, as some boring people call it. <laughs> and it's a film that I actually know relatively little about, except that it comes highly recommended from a couple of folks that I think highly of. So this is going to be an adventure for everybody involved. Uh, we're heading outside of the English language sphere this time, where uh, we're going to be looking at a film called from 2017 called Good Manners. And I am extremely looking forward to it because I hear it's gay. (laughs) Which is really all that I ask. I I mean, it'd be nice to watch something that's gay instead of, you know, perverted sisters. Yeah, that would be, that would be a step up. We're just, we're working towards, we're working towards (laughs) that good gay shit. So, you know, until next time, take care of yourselves out there. See y'all.